All right, good evening, everyone. Hate to break up the fellowship again. But the uh, last great day is here. Sabbath is uh, upon us. Arrived uh, a little over an hour and a quarter ago. So the feast actually is officially over, and we are now within the last great day. So welcome, everybody, to the seventh festival of the year, the last great day. Welcome to our three new brothers and sisters that we baptized today. Uh, what, a, what a joy in the, that that was to witness. Before we get started, I'll call uh, Brother Peter up, uh, Peter Wilcox up to uh, open with prayer. So if you all like to rise, we'll open the Bible study with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, uh, you've shown us so much in the past seven days. Uh, just awesome works by you, Father. Your fingerprints all over the past seven days. The friends we've made relationships that were formed and we thank you for this Father and we look forward to this next day the last great day and we we will do a Bible study now and learn more to more to learn more about you Father and we ask you to be with us in spirit in Jesus name Amen So again, we've come to the last great day, this eighth day of the the festival, Feast of Tabernacles, a separate uh, feast known as the last great day. How we treat one another in a church community has, I think we can agree, has been the central point of the feast. As we've uh, witnessed the messages uh, layer on top of each other from the opening night when we talked about uh, seizing this feast and making this feast extraordinary and learning the lessons that God has for us. The fact that we are a community and a family as the body of Christ and how the body interacts with each other has been key to how we are. Has been key to uh, how we, how, what we've learned here at the feast. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20 as we begin to talk about the last great day. Revelation chapter 20. And we'll pick it up in verse 11. Revelation 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne. That's Revelation 20 verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Part of what this day looks forward to is this thing we call the great white throne judgment period. As we consider what that means, I'd like to take you to three verses to sort of set the stage for what we're going to study about today. So let's go back to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14.
And we're going to read three verses in three separate sections of Scripture while we set this up. Romans chapter 14, verse 13 tells us this. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So let us not judge one another, is what Paul tells us here. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Judge, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll pick it up in verse 13. Of course, cutting into the context at this point. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Judge among yourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Again, cutting into the context of verse 5. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? So what is it? Judge? Judge amongst yourselves? Don't judge. Is our Bible full of contradictions? Is this one of the contradictions our Bible is full of that we, that those who don't believe try to get us to believe? Or are these examples of scriptures that we can pull out of context when it suits whatever side of the argument that we're on? There are sometimes it makes sense for me to, to say, I can judge you because you're offending me, so I can pull this out saying, let's judge between our brethren. But if you're going to do that to me, I've got a scripture here that says don't judge. So what is it? Do we judge? Do we not judge? Scripture should never be looked at out of context or independent of other truths in the Bible. We know how God expects us to treat one another. That's how we that's sort of been the underlying theme from the entire week is how we need to treat one another within the body, within the greater body of Jesus Christ. So why would we pull out permission to judge our brother when it's convenient and ignore the scriptures that tell us not to judge when it's deemed when it should be appropriate to do so? So what I would like to do for this Bible study, and it came up in conversation in Kitchener a couple of months ago. So as we're about to commemorate the great white throne judgment day, I'd like to study the word judge and clear up the apparent contradictions or the confusion that comes, not contradictions, but the confusion that comes from reading the scriptures that say don't judge and judge. I would like to see that what, we, what we'll show, what we'll look at together and answer some of these 
questions that I was asked in Kitchener saying, how do you know when to judge or when do you not judge? Is that there's no contradiction at all in God's word. We know that to be true. But let's break down this word judge and find out what the writers of the New Testament were really saying. And we'll see that it simply, by understanding what, what these, the, the definitions of this word judge really mean, it actually adds to the overall effect of the feast, the overall, uh, what we've been learning here at the feast. And the key to understanding the apparent confusion is that the Greek language has three words for the word judge. If you're, if you're from a foreign nation and you come into North America and you, use, you want to learn the English language, imagine the confusion when you're looking at the word strike. There's to strike a match. There's a labor strike where you, you do not uh, uh, go to work. There's a baseball strike. And I'm sure there's at least two other definitions of the word, st- uh, the word strike, which I don't come to mind at this point. Yet, as you're learning the English language, you've got five words, five words that you know in your language that you've got to break down into the English language, and it's all the same word. The same can be, be said here for the word judge. There are actually three different words used for judge, and they mean three totally different things. And that's what we're going to break down and look at here today. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7 to start. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to flip through the, the Bible a little bit here. We will not touch every word for judge. It's uh, used far too many times for us to, to uh, go into here. But we will look at enough verses, enough usages of the word judge for all three different Greek words to really get a full understanding and, and really expand our, our understanding of this word. The first and main word for judge in the Greek language is the word krino, K-R-I-N-O, krino. For those of you who use Strong's, it's 2929, sorry, 2919 in the Greek Strong's Concordance. And it specifically means to decide, to try, to condemn, to punish, to decree, to ordain, or to sentence to. Understand the, 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 the finality of a lot of, what, a lot of those, those, those definitions, and it will help as we, we uh, broaden our understanding here of this word judge, that's this, uh, the word crino that has been translated into the English word judge. It is the most often used word for judge from the Greek language. It's used 114 times in the New Testament, obviously, it's Greek. And 88 times, or 77% of those times, it is translated as the word judge. Matthew chapter 7 is a good use of this. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here we are clearly told 
don't judge. Do not crino. For the purposes of this study, we're going to start using, rather than judge, we're going to start using the Greek words so we can separate this here. Do not crino. Do not condemn. Do not make a final decision. Do not decree. Do not ordain. Uh, do not sentence someone with finality. Or God will do the same thing to you. We're going to see here, and what we're, what we're going to look through here is, for the most part, there's, a, there's, there's one exception here that, in Scripture. We do not have the right to crino in this life. It is what we would like to call above our pay grade. We, we, it is, belongs to someone higher than our level. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Is it repeated by Luke? But it's important to see that Luke backs up what Matthew wrote. It was not just Matthew that wrote this, but Luke did also. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Crino not, and you shall not be crinoed. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Clearly, we read what Matthew and Luke have said, and if we're going to take upon ourselves the ability to crino, beware, because God's going to crino you right back. Romans chapter 14. I want to continue along with this and see that we are specifically and several times in Scripture warned not to take upon ourselves this action of crino. Romans chapter 14. We read verse 13. Let's go back to verse 10. But why do you crino your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? Romans chapter 14, verse 10. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge or crino one another anymore but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. When we crino our brother or our sister, two things occur. We take upon God's role that we don't have a right to do because God judges us. God crinos us and Christ crinos us. We all have an opportunity to be crinoed. We will. We will stand before Christ and receive judgment. And judgment's not necessarily a bad word. It depends on what you've been doing down here. But when we take this action upon ourselves where we do not have a right to, we cause a stumbling block to be put in our brother's way. Because we're the stumbling block. We, need to, we're, we do not get in between a person and his God. That's not our job. That's not our right to crino. And we become a stumbling block in our brother's way. When we use crino in a negative way, when we judge when it's not our right to judge. 
James chapter 4. We'll see. Proceed along here. James chapter 4. And see that not just Christ and not just Paul, but James talked about this as well. James chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and crinos his brother speaks evil of the law and crinos the law. But if you crino the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to crino another? It seems pretty clear to me. That's, that's out of our hands. When we assume upon ourselves the mantle of crino, we're stepping in God's territory here, and we become a stumbling block. And it's better for a millstone to be tied around our neck than to become, as the scripture says, than to become a hindrance to our brother. That's a, obviously a paraphrase that. John chapter 5. We've looked clearly that we have clear warnings not to crino. Let's go to the scripture and be clear that this is God's prerogative and the prerogative of Jesus Christ that the action of Crino belongs to them. John chapter 5, verse 30. Again, it's a, this is a Bible study, so we're going to flip through some scriptures fairly quickly here. Christ tells us, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I Crino. And my Crino is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. We're starting to see when the, what crino really means, and it's applying God's will to a situation. Christ himself says, I have the, I've been given the authority to crino, but I don't even do it of my own will. My will is in line with the Father. And the reason why his crino is righteous is because he is in line with the Father. Romans chapter 2. Proceeding along this second point of Crino, that Christ and God, God and Christ, have the authority to use this task of Crino. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be crinoed by the law. For not the hearers of law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God, when God will crino the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, According to my gospel. God clearly assumes the mantle of ultimate judgment in this form, this word that we call krino in the Greek language, and he uses Jesus Christ, as we know, to be our judge. Flipping, looking across the page, or flipping the page, depending on your Bible, Romans chapter 3, verse 1. What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. But what if some did not believe? 
Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and you you may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man, Paul says. Certainly not. For then how will God crino the world? Again, very clear. We are not to participate in this because it, it elevates, we elevate ourselves into the position of God. And we know what scripture says about those who do that. Second Timothy chapter 4, just a couple more here. I want to cover a wide variety here to see that this is, there is no doubt here as to who can crino. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom? God and Jesus Christ, when the time is right, will be, will crino. They have sole responsibility for this. And it belongs to them. Hebrews chapter 13. And then we'll go on to another point. Hebrews chapter 13. I promise we're not going to read all 114 examples. Hebrews 13. Verse 4. Again, remembering the context that Pastor Adrian went through with us on the last Bible study with Hebrews. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will crino. Again, it would seem easy and natural for us to know what fornication and adultery is. But here... It even says we don't even have the right to crino that. We'll get into some more details in a little bit, but what seems obvious, fornication or adultery, God says he will judge. He will crino that. It's not up to us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and look at a different point here. We're going to spend considerable time in 1 Corinthians because that's where much of the word, the three words, crino being the first one, we'll get to the other two in a, a little bit, take place. In order to remember why, remember what the what uh, Corinthians is all about. We've got a very dysfunctional congregation who um, are competing, the, competing for who they are going to follow. Remember, it said, uh, "I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Christ." They can't even figure out who they are following because none of them are following God. They're trying to follow a man. They have allowed within them uh, sexual immorality, blatant sexual immorality that no one, is co- no one is worried about. It's allowing to fester within the congregation. So we've got a bunch of dysfunctionality within this church family. So as we're going to see, keep all that in mind, and Hebrews is a lot deeper than the last, the last 30 seconds that I've sort of syn- uh, given a synopsis on. 
but we don't have time to go into too much detail there. But keep that in mind as we look at this next verse, because there are rare, rare, rare occurrences where we, where we are given the task to crino. But it's very specific and used very rarely. Clearly, what we've read up to so far is the overall consensus is we don't have that right. And that belongs to God. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 5. For what have I to do with crinoing those who are on the outside? They're not part of the covenant. They are not part of the covenant. Do you not crino those who are on the inside? But those who are on the outside, God crinos. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. When the congregation is such that there is evil within the congregation, there comes an opportunity for us to crino. We're, we're going we're to sort of put this on the shelf for a little bit and come back to it because there's so much more we need to understand before we get to this. But there, there are rare, rare, rare occurrences, and we cannot pull this out and use it flippantly when we get an opportunity to feel like we need to judge our brother the way God should judge. But there are rare occurrences here where we need to invoke this type of crino, but there's so much more that needs to take place first, and that's, in, that's the other words that we're going to talk about. So let's just shelve this for a little bit and realize that we're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're there. Let's just move forward. Just drop down a couple of verses. And we're going to look at the future, because there will come a time when we will be tasked with the ability to crino, but it's not now. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will crino the world? Will, future tense. And if the world will be crinoed by you, are you unworthy to crino the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall crino angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to crino? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not one wise among you, not even one who will be able to crino between his brethren? But brother goes to the law against brother, and that before unbelievers. We will judge the world to come. We will crino angels. There's, a, there's a, a level of judgment, there's a level of hierarchy that we will participate in in the future when we will, be, we will crino angels. But it comes in the future. And it stands to reason it will come in the future because we're not mature enough as, as children of God at this point. We have still have too much humanity within ourselves, which is why God tells us we don't have that right. But there will come a time, and we're, we'll, we'll pick that up again a little bit later, when we will have that opportunity and that task to judge, to crino in the future. Let's move on to the second one here. And it is diacrino. Diacrino. We can see the, the root word crino in there. It's got a prefix on it, D-I-A, diacrino. And it is 1252 in the Strong's Concordance, and it means to discern or to make a distinction. Notice the difference from crino. Crino, when we talk about it, has a lot of finality to it. Here, it means to discern or to make a distinction. 
And when I read verse 5, actually, verse 5, actually, I, I used the word crino. I made an error there. That is in verse 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians 6, which we're going to look at right now. Verse 5 and 6 are, is the use of diacrino. It means to discern or to make a distinction. And it's used only 19 times. As I said, the word crino is the bulk of, of what Scripture uses when it's translated to judge. Here, this word diacrino is used a few times. Most often it's translated into the English Bible as judge, but it means to discern or to make a distinction. And we read there verses 1 to 4, talking about how we're going to have the ability in the future to crino angels, because we obviously will be part of the God family. Verse 5, in this life, I say to you, it is to your shame. Is it so that there's not a wise one among you, not even one, who will be able to discern between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. We are imbued with the Holy Spirit. We saw three brothers and sisters today receive the Holy Spirit. We have been witness to messages here this week that talk about the community spirit that we should have, the fact that we work together as God's people. And here, part of the dysfunctionality in Corinth was that they couldn't even settle their disputes themselves. They had to, they had to bring in someone from the outside, a judge that, that rules by human law. And Paul is telling them, you can't, you don't even have, you're not even mature enough to to be able to discern between each other. Not asking you to make a final decision. The Spirit allows you to discern. And it allows you to make a judgment call on discerning. Doesn't give you the right to crino, keep that in mind. That's why there's three, these three different words. It's unfortunate that the English language only has one word and it causes confusion. But here, that is why Paul is telling them, you should be able to discern between brothers. You should have, be able to use your whole, the Holy Spirit to discern what is right and wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We now start to see multiple uses of different, of diacrino and crino within the same context. Which helps to explain why we see you can and you can't within the same the same uh, framework of scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now this, again, is in context with the Lord's Supper, the, the New Testament Passover service, keeping in mind the dysfunctionality that we talked about that was present in the Corinthian church. And we, we sort of touched on it uh, in a message earlier this feast about when we, or in the the seminar when we talked about uh, tarrying for one another. And we sort of covered that when we talked about tarrying for one another, on one another, where the dysfunctionality of the Corinth church had the New Testament Passover service to be just this big eating fest. And people would come all day. If you were rich, you could get off work early, basically, if we spoke in the vernacular, come early and just feast and not wait for anybody. And by the time... Folks arrive late. There might not be much food left. Everyone would be gorged to the full. Some would probably be drunk. That's how they treated the Lord's Supper. With that in mind, and again, a, a, a quick snapshot. We, could go into, we would love to go into more detail about that. But let's pick it up in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. That word examine is the word diacrino. Let a man diacrino himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner drinks judgment to himself, not crinoing the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we crenoed ourselves, we would not, if we, if we, sorry, let me step back. If we diacrenoed ourselves, we would not be crenoed. If we diacrenoed, verse 31, if we diacrenoed ourselves, we would not be crenoed. But when we are crenoed, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. If we took time to discern our own actions, to look at ourselves in the mirror, to pick our own actions apart, to work on ourselves, not worrying about everybody else, but if we took time to stare ourselves in the mirror, apply what we've heard throughout the year, throughout this feast, putting on the mind of Christ, checking our fruits, by their fruits you shall know them. If we take time to dig into our, our actions and discern, uh, discern ourselves, God would not need to crino us. We will have grown to the, to the point where he will not need to cast judgment on, on us. We will have, have the character of God. And we notice how it says it, this multiple use of the English word judge can be confusing, but when we break it down, we can see that it's not actually the same word. It's two different words used in the same sentence. And in light here of what we talked about here in Corinthians, we can see how Paul was trying to get them focused on their own actions and cleaning up their own actions because they were a church that showed no care for one another. They were worried about who was getting ahead first. They were worried about who was going to be first in line at the food table at the, the, at the Lord's Supper meal. They were worried about, am I following the greater man? Am I following Paul or I'm following what Paul is? You know, I don't follow either, either one. I follow Christ. Even that was said in an arrogant manner. They showed no care for one another. They did not care for the family because they did not protect the congregation from the sin that was in. They showed no care for those who were less fortunate than others. That's why Paul admonished them here to tarry for one another. We don't start the meal till everyone's here. That's caring for one another. And we see that if Paul was, that's why Paul was saying, if you took the time to discern your own actions, to, look, to discern what is right and wrong, in your own life. God would not need to crino you. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Here we're talking about order within the church when we gather together and, and worship there's a certain order that is set out by the ministry. And we see that here in 1 Corinthians 14. As, as our congregations are set up, it's incumbent upon someone to set up the liturgy, and that onus falls upon the ministry to do that. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. How is it then, brothers, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So there's no room for vanity. There's no room for self, 
promotion, let all things done to the edification of the body. Remember, Corinthians is written to the congregation as a whole, to the family. Let everything that is done within the confines of the community be done to edify the community, to be done to edify the body. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three. Let, let uh, there be two or at least at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. For if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others discern. When we sit in the, the sanctuary, when we sit in the congregation and we have God's word preached to us, we have an obligation to discern. We do not sit there as robots as we've heard through this feast and just take in what is said. We have an obligation. You have an obligation to your eternal life to discern what is being said from the pulpit to follow through, to check it out. This word judge here, verse 29, is the word diacrino. It, it does not mean that you cast judgment on the person behind the pulpit and crino him, a completely separate word. But for the protection of yourself and the protection of your, of, of your community, one, somebody will pick something up that somebody else might not hear. You have an obligation to listen and to discern what is being said. And if it doesn't match up with Scripture, you, ha you have a right to ask a question. Crino doesn't fall in here. Crino, we don't have the right to Crino, uh, whoever is, is, is speaking from behind the pulpit, but you have a right and an obligation to discern and to ask questions and to cl seek clarification and to make sure what is being said is correct and matches up in Scripture. That shows concern for the congregation. It helps discern truth. We all have the Holy Spirit within us to help us discern, and it's the responsibility of all the members of the congregation to discern. Jude chapter 1. Even Jude gets in the act here, talking about this word diacrino. Jude chapter 1. Again, for time's sake, we will cut into the scripture here in verse 9. We're familiar with this. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. That word contending with is the word discern. Is the word, sorry, is the word diacrino. means to discern or to make a distinction. Michael the archangel had the power to make a distinction between what Satan was saying and what he knew to be true. He could not cast final judgment. He was simply an, a, a messenger of God. But here, even the archangels have, an, have an, the ability to diacrino. They do not have the, the authority to crino. That wasn't, his, that wasn't uh, his pay grade, as I said earlier. But even, an archangel, even the archangel could not crino, but he could discern or make distinctions in contending with Satan. Crino remains God's prerogative. It's now, as we're heading down into the last third here, talk about the third word that is translated as judge in the New Testament. And again, the root word is the same. It's crino. The suffix is ana. So the word is anacrino. Anacrino, A-N-A-K-R-I-N-O, Anacrino. 
In Strong's, it is word number 350, 350. And it means to investigate or to examine. To investigate or to examine. It's only used 16 times. And it is most often translated in our English Bibles as to judge or to examine. So diacrino means to discern. Crino means to, with a, with a finality, condemn, decree, sentence, ordain. Anacrino means to investigate or to examine. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Back to the book of 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the folks in Corinth. And we'll see this word anacrino put to good use. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which, is, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually anacrinoed. They are spiritually examined. For he who is spiritual examines all things, anacrinos all things. Yet he himself is rightly anacrinoed by no one. For he who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. This usage of the word anacrino points us toward the self-examination, points us toward the, the betterment of ourselves, putting on the mind of Christ. When we, we read the mind of Christ, our mind should automatically go to Philippians chapter 2. We won't take time to turn there. But the, the song that is in Scripture there in Philippians chapter talking about putting on the mind of Christ. Here it's used multiple times, talking about judging and examining ourselves towards putting on the mind of Christ. And we get the distinction here where we anacrino ourselves. Part of our obligation in becoming better children of God, much of what we've heard about this week, is in looking in the mirror and determining where we can be better, judging ourselves. If we want to judge anybody, err on the side of caution and judge yourself. That's where anacrino comes in. Let God do his work. Let God do the crinoing. When we need to, as, as we should all the time sitting in, a, in, a, in an audience or in a, in, a, in a congregation and even when we're with brethren, we need to be able to discern what is right and wrong for the protection of ourselves and the protection of the community. For our own betterment here, this is where the, the word anacrino comes in, where it's investigating or examining our actions, our motives, where we are in our journey with God. Flip the page to chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. And we'll see, again, another opportunity for more than one of these words to come into play. We'll see anacrino and crino at play in the same scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Let's start at verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that, that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be anacrinoed by you or by a human court. 
we have a right to Anacrino, to Paul, it didn't matter that you were, you were examining him. He knew that he answered to God. And that was his point here. For I know of nothing against myself, verse 4, yet I am not justified by this. But he who anacrinos me is the Lord. Paul was able to examine himself through the use of the Holy Spirit that God placed within him so that he was using, he, with God on his knees in prayer and self-examination, he could anacrino himself. And in essence, it was God that was doing it for him and through him. He didn't care that others were anacrinoing him as long as his main focus was on anacrinoing himself so that he could become a better child of God and a better servant of God. Therefore, crino nothing. See, we see now, if, let's just read it in English first. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to the light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Verse 5, we flip gears, and that word, that judge is crino. Therefore, crino nothing before the time until the Lord comes. We don't have a right in this life, except for small cases, individual cases, where, there's, where the church, the protection of the church requires our action to crino. Crino nothing until the time the Lord comes. When he comes and we follow the, the plan of God through to 1 Corinthians 15 and we are raised either from the dead or from these mortal bodies and meet Christ in the air and we put on our new bodies and we become part of the family of God, we have seen that that will come a time when we will be tasked with crinoing. But until then, we anacrino. We diacrino. We don't crino. And scripture is clear. We note here that much of the usage of this word was to the brethren in Corinth because they were so dysfunctional. We sort of covered that off. But when we see, the, when, we, when we dig into and use, use strongs and use, break down these words, we see it makes, it becomes a lot clearer. We examine ourselves. We discern truth. We discern actions within the faith. And only in the rarest of circumstances for the protection of the flock from an egregious sin do we make an overriding decision. But our obligation is still to repentance. We can't, we can't truly understand 1 Corinthians and our obligations in judging, whether it be crino, diacrino, or anacrino, without reading 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Everyone's favorite type of judgment would be crino. It's, it's easiest. We don't need to change ourselves. We simply nitpick and point out flaws in everybody else. That's easy. The difficult stuff is to examine ourselves. The difficult stuff is to discern, to pay attention. Discerning requires that we're actually paying attention. We're not just taking up a seat. We're not just taking up time for God. We're, we're taking time to discern. But when we... This, this one instance of crinoing, of where this sin was so egregious 
They had to make a decision. Paul gave them the authority to make a decision. What is understood is, on the back side of it, that it was really about invoking repentance in the individual. Because we, we really, even when we're giving the task of crinoing and making a final judgment on this, we're really not making a final judgment. We're allowing the, the person that is participating in the sin an opportunity to realize, to anocrino himself, to, to diacrino his actions so that he can come to repentance. And to understand 1 Corinthians, we read 2 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 3. You're probably there. Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Chapter 2. Verse 3. And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The point was, no matter, while we have time on this earth, whether we need to, whether something within our congregation or our church family is so egregious that it requires action. Repentance and reconciliation is always our end goal. Always. We should not treat others within our congregation for the purposes of making it a more comfortable place for us. We, put some, we, we have a part in putting someone out by invoking this one time that we're allowed to crino for the purposes of getting rid of something that's just kind of uncomfortable in our congregation. And we can probably do it, look at a loophole within Scripture and force someone out of our fellowship, and now I feel better because I don't have to deal with things. Being part of a community is about everyone having an opportunity to be reconciled. And as much as Paul one time wrote that we have an, op- we have an ability to crino after we've already anacrinoed, after we've diacrinoed, after we are sure that this is an egregious sin that must be dealt with, the end game is always reconciliation. Because that is the mind of Christ. That is what a church family is all about. And we see here, God's word is so tightly interwoven that even the breakdown of the word judge truly lines up with the rest of scripture and is in line with what we've heard all week. A simple English word judge, when really it's three different words, with three completely different meanings, helps us understand why in some places we are told, do not do that. You do not have the authority to crino, to judge. In other cases, when we're talking about discerning, 
we have an obligation to do so. We have an obligation to the family, to ourselves, to discern what is going on, whether it be from, from the pulpit or, quite frankly, within the community itself. When we hear it shouldn't be just an elder or just a minister that can deal with a situation in the church family. When we're all in tune, when we're all on the same page, something can happen in the back of the hall, and whoever is there says that we, that doesn't happen in this family. We don't do that. We don't believe that. We don't talk that way. That's part of discerning and protecting the body. And we anacrino because our goal is to put on the mind of Christ. And we can only get there by examining ourselves, by looking at ourselves in the mirror, and judging ourselves against what Scripture says we, where we should be. Second Timothy chapter 4. We just, we're going to wind this up here. Second Timothy chapter 4. What is ultimately our obligation to the church, to the church family, to the community, in light of what we've learned? Second Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 1. I charge you, therefore, Paul says to Timothy, remembering that this is a pastoral epistle. Paul is, is writing to a young elder, a young minister, and encouraging him how to, what, he, what his obligation is in, in setting up churches and how he should guide them. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, God in Christ, will crino the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Our obligation, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, remembering that we do that gently, we admonish and rebuke gently, exhort or encourage with all, with all long suffering and teaching. So preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. I don't see Crino there. I see help. God Crinos. We help. We edify. We exhort. We encourage. Because we want everyone to partake of what we have the opportunity to partake of. Verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. And be turned aside to fables. There's going to come a time when stuff will influence the congregation. We make the big decisions early. We preach the word now. We rebuke now. We exhort now. We edify now. We exhort now. With all long suffering and teaching. That takes sacrifice. That takes putting our own our own desires. That takes answering the phone at two in the morning and talking till four. Because that's what the body needs. Because God will crino in his due time. We don't need to worry about that. God crinos, we help the body. Last scripture, let's go to First Peter chapter 4. We have a right to discern. We must closely examine our own actions and our own motives as, as we aim for perfection. Matthew 5.48, and putting on the mind of Christ, Philippians 2. 
most often, almost all the time, God and Christ have final say with the word crino. We are always must be toughest on ourselves. Use the gift of discernment to guide your actions. Let God judge. But we need to realize that we are being judged now. First Peter chapter 4. Final scripture. For the time has come, again, for time's sake, cutting into some context here, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Judgment is on us now. That word judgment here is 2917. It is the noun form of the verb krino, and it is krima, K-R-I-M-A. Final judgment is on the house of God now. This is our time of salvation. This is our time. The message is clear from the study of the word judge and the messages we have heard all week. Be careful how we treat one another because God is watching. That's uh, uh, it. I don't know if we have any questions. Um, certainly hope that this has been... Um, it's certainly not in, in, in the entire exposition of the, the English words to judge, but I certainly hope that it... Uh, has some value in understanding that sometimes the English language can cause some confusion when there are actually more than, than uh, one, uh, one Greek word that has been used. Thank you very much, Marie. I'm, I'm awfully sorry I missed part of the, uh, part of the study. Um, I wanted to say first off, thank you very much. I'm glad we were able to strike up this conversation. And... Um, I also wanted to mention I noticed you mostly referenced the New Testament. The reason I say this is I believe in the Old Testament it says that we are to warn people if they are doing wrong. Otherwise their blood is on our hands. That is a matter of discernment. <clears throat> the reason I bring it up is I, I saw a classic case in which there was a ter- terrible error made. Uh, I believe Pope Francis himself was on the plane and they asked him, what about homosexuality? And he said, well, it's not for me to judge. That was his opportunity to say, it's evil. But he didn't say it. All he said was, it's not for me to judge. Um, The duty is still ours to tell someone when they're doing something wrong. My only request right now, please, is if possible, hymn number 110, when we close, please. Sure. Thank you. Um, just to touch on a couple of points, we, the purpose of going to the New Testament was because we were looking at three Greek words. That, um, that Greek, the Greek is by definition the New Testament. Of course, there's stuff in the Old Testament on judging. Um, and, and, and just to touch on answer with your the second point that you have there, um, that's part of the discernment of saying what is right and wrong. Crino is, is more people-related. We have no right to say Pope Francis will not be in the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. I didn't say you said that. That's the difference here. We have every right to say what he said was wrong. We have clear, clear, uh, clear uh, support in Scripture that as long as we abide by what Scripture says, we have every right to say what Scripture says. The Crino part is really people-related. 
um, we have every right to say that 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 is 100% abhorrent, and we and we we back that up with scripture. Where God and Christ come in is the judging of human beings. For a and we we noticed that the word that the crino really had a lot of finality to the definitions. That's sort of where we were going with that. Where where I think scripture is is going there. One question, please. Did you follow up what the Hebrew was? Um, for this, for the purposes of this scripture, no, it's a completely separate study. It's certainly something we can we can we can do. Uh, yeah, that last scripture in Peter about judgment beginning at the house of God. Uh, that word judgment. What did you say it was? Crema, uh, the noun form of the, of the of the word crino. Noun form. Does that mean condemnation or more chastisement? Well, uh, I mean, everyone has one opportunity for salvation. Ours happens to to be now. So over the course of our time on this earth, after our baptism, this is our time for salvation. So, again, um, um, not sure. I'm not sure where where we're going here. If we're oh no! Do you think that word means? Uh, more of a condemnation of us for if if we do wrong, or or more of a, a judging in the sense that if we do wrong, we're chastised. You know, like like Israel was chastised, but sent into captivity, but brought back type of thing. Well, I mean, the, the when he says here that judgment begins at the house of God now, obviously the judgment period is 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 not a single act or a single point in time. It's it's over the course of our life. So um, chastisement now, ultimately, if we don't listen to the chastisement, it will be condemnation. But obviously that's not God's, uh, that's not God's end product. That's not his end goal. It's all about reconciliation and, and making things right. But again, that's up, that's up to us and the other aspects. It's up to the diacrino, the anacrino, and how we examine ourselves and whether we're just in this for the ride or whether we're serious about this. Okay, thanks. Was oh back to Hank. Scripture. Scripture says judgment, not judging. So to me, if it's a judging, we are judging. But judgment, uh, because it's a judgment, it is God that judges us. Well, again, it's the it's the it's the noun form of the word crino. Crino is a verb. Uh, the commands to us throughout are in verb form because because uh, the commands are to what we from a, from an action point of view can can and can't do, but the the action the the judgment is in noun form, I guess for syntax yeah, purposes it's, it's here. God not judging the called out ones and not the world. Sorry, say that again. It's not God judging the called out called out ones first and not the world. Well, that stands to reason. I mean, the whole concept of Crino was the fact that that's God's prerogative and God's, uh, God's, God's job, for lack of a better, better uh, word at this time. There was a request to sing page 110 in our hymn books. I don't know if that's... Uh, we, don't, we can do that. Brother Louis asked, it would be a good way to uh, end the Bible study. So if you all want to rise, we can do it a cappella.
don't even know what 110 is, but we'll have a look. Do you want to do it? That'd be great. Thanks, Erica. Whoa. Do we know this one? Okay. Do you know this one, Erica? No. Venus doesn't even know. I would, I would, uh, let, let, let's, let's pick another hymn here. 72, 72, 72. There we go. Thanks, Pastor Adrian. Maybe Erica can play it through once for us to hear. I know we did have an opportunity to do uh, praise music. I thought that was on the list. So uh, for those who are uh, interested in that and those who are uh, uh, running that, uh, that's time for that now. Services at 10.30 tomorrow.